welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I have this line I use sometimes that I was born before hormones were invented. Generally speaking, I had a pretty easy time of my reproductive years, and menopause wandered into my life with very little fanfare. Now, I will admit those are my words, and perhaps my former husband tells a different story. But I know there are many, many women who've had a bear of a time making the transition to menopause. I spend time with a number of older women, and several of them tell the story of still having issues into their 70s and beyond. My guest today actually suffered burnout during her own perimenopause. We'll hear the story shortly, but my notes say she was a neuroscientist who because of her own experience, transitioned from that career to being a menopause-specific health coach and a certified mindfulness practitioner. Over the last eight years, she's worked with menopausal women, helping them with strategies that include mindfulness, meditation, mindful eating, exercise, rest, and self-compassion. She's the host of the Thriving Through Menopause podcast and a keynote speaker and best-selling author of The Mindful Menopause. Clarissa Christensen, welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Oh, Agnes, I am delighted to be here. Thank you so much. Clarissa, do you mind explaining my intro about your own experiences and the transition from neuroscientist to menopause-specific health coach? I know. I mean, I went through menopause being a neuroscientist. I was working corporate roles, you know, you know, the score, long hours, not much slack. I was a single mom and I lived in Australia. Then I don't live in Australia now. I live in Sweden. But there I was, you know, really very far away from my family and managing all this on my own. And I would say that I've been an anxiety sister or sufferer, whichever word you like to call, for many, many years. But that really came to the fore in perimenopause. And that set my world into a whole different sphere. I didn't sleep. I had extremely high blood pressure. And, you know, to the point I was 179 over 90 something, which is <laughs> your, your eyes are saying everything here. I guess. You know, that's pretty close to having a heart attack or a stroke. And I didn't feel it until the doctor. And then I had to be medicated. But, you know, this constant pressure just eventually broke me. And I had a panic attack in the office in front of a very senior man. I mean, I was quite a senior manager and he was a senior manager. And I realized then that my life couldn't continue in this vein. And that was my turning point. 
uh, maybe tipping point is a better word to use. And I went on to initially train as a mindfulness practitioner. And I worked for a number of years with women in mindfulness, having left corporate and kept thinking, all these women are the same age. All these women are sort of somewhere between 43 and 51. They're all being ignored by their doctors. They're all being told, you're just stressed. Sign yourself off from work a bit. You'll be fine. And they weren't getting any any further. And then I started to put, you know, the pieces together and thought, oh, they're all in perimenopause. Oh, and that was me too, because no one ever used that word with me. No one ever talked about it to me. No clinician ever mentioned that. But then when I put it together, I thought, right, this is an area I'm going to focus on. I'm going to learn lots about this so I can help other women. Mm. I'm coming into this, as I mentioned, with very little experience with the issues around perimenopause. So I'm going to ask, and I may be way out in left field here, but did your neuroscience knowledge help you deal with what you went through with perimenopause? And I realize we're talking nervous system versus, I think, is it the endocrine system? But I could join the dots when I learned about it, because then, of course, what I realized was that, you know, menopause begins in your brain. (laughs) You may have ovarian, you may have things going on and changing in your cycle, but really what you feel first is brain-related things. And it's not surprising you've got hundreds of estrogen receptors in your brain and progesterone impacts your brain and when they're fluctuating and changing well guess what you feel it you feel moody you feel tired you can't sleep you can't rationalize you've got brain fog that's way before you've ever had a hot flash or or even put on weight so a lot of what is going on is in your brain and of course that connection between the brain and the rest of the body so my neuroscience or my knowledge of the brain made me have real aha moments, but also gives you insight that you can do things to help your brain, which would help the rest of you. Okay. So, so we have perimenopause, we have menopause when it's finally there. Is there sort of a, a continuum? Can you explain or maybe you just have, but is there a continuum of that whole process? Yeah, so before your hormones start to fluctuate, so really anywhere before 35, I hate to tell people that <laughs> one. <laughs> You're like, tell oh, my thanks. <laughs> thanks so much. You know, very motivating. But generally in your 40s and 50s, you go into early 50s, you go into perimenopause. And that is really when you're feeling most of these symptoms, if you experience them. So you're having hormonal fluctuations and decline. And you're also having more and more periods that are what called anovulatory. So in other words, you're not releasing an egg that could be fertilized in your in your monthly cycle anymore. And that in itself is creating a lot of havoc with our hormones when we're anovulatory. We are normally that about once or twice a year. But when we get into this stage, we become more and more and more anovulatory. And eventually... There's no more eggs being released and you're in menopause. And we talk about menopause, but it's actually one day, 12 months after your last menstrual period, your menopause. After that, you're postmenopausal and you're basically in a different phase. Your hormones may still be going down. They may still be settling to a new level, but you're not having that wild ride. (laughs) Now, you've mentioned a couple of the not side effects, the results, I guess, 
And many women are aware of the tiredness, the hot flashes, poor sleep. What are some of the other things that women experience? Uh, And can you describe how serious those can be for some women? Yes. So actually, the things that are most common, you're right, are hot flashes and weight gain. But the reality is that the things that have the biggest impact on women's lives are anxiety, depression, compounded by the lack of sleep, the inability to focus, this brain fogginess. And they can really be very serious. I mean, there are women who do take their life. It's the highest suicide time for women is around late 40s, early 50s. And there is a huge link between that and the decline in estrogen, because estrogen affects major regulatory and emotional centers in the brain. Now, we can't say it's a one-on-one because obviously there are lots of other mitigating factors. A history of anxiety and depression will without doubt have an impact there as well. So if you've ever had any mental health illness, you need to take extra special care. And there are special forms of hormone therapy for those women that psychiatrists give out. Hmm. I, I think what I'm thinking is, that sounded strange. What I'm thinking is you, as you say that is, I really hope a lot of women my age and beyond or even younger than me, perhaps, that have gone through this are like now forgiving themselves. Oh, because yes. it's not that they just turned into the bitch from hell. They, they probably didn't have much choice. <laughs> no, proge- progesterone decline um, is one of the things that takes away our protective effect against the stress hormone cortisol. So we don't buffer that hormone in the same way. So we, you know, we are much more sensitive to stress. Our, our whole journey is affecting our amygdala, our hippocampus in our brain, our prefrontal brain areas that are about emotion and mood and memory and, reg, you know, regulatory factors that are all there. I mean, this is what's going on inside your brain. And then, of course, estrogen is a precursor for the production of serotonin, which is your happy hormone. It's made in your gut. And when you have less estrogen, it's not surprising you might feel low as well, unless, you know, low because you're not able to produce the same quantities of serotonin. I think I'm going to up my gratitude game for the the easiness (laughs) with which I went through that stage of life. My goodness. Perhaps the next question becomes uh, hormone replacement therapy. Yes. So I'm always saying my caveat is I'm not a clinician, but hormone replacement therapy can literally save women's lives. I mean, you know, we are at that level. And it is such a great thing for women in terms of being able to regulate a lot of their hormones. So it doesn't replace hormones. And now we call it hormone therapy because you're not replacing. What you're really doing is creating hormonal balance for, for women so that, you know, you are able to feel a bit better. A lot of your symptoms will be more manageable, but it's only part of the story is what I would say that without diet and exercise and stress management, its effect is good, but it's not as good as good as it could be. Would it be something that a woman would automatically look into when she recognizes some of the early stages or only if she's like whacking her kid upside the head every day and a half? (laughs) I think it depends on your clinician. Um, And I think that, 
you know, we've got to recognise that 40% of medical schools spend about 10 minutes teaching menopause. (laughs) So a lot of clinicians are coming out into general practice and even obstigyne specialists with limited knowledge of menopause. Um, Far too many women are given antidepressants as the be all and end all when they come or they're ignored. And a lot of clinicians are still quoting the 2002 HRT study, which showed a link between hormone replacement therapy, as it was then known then, and cancer. We now know that a lot of that wasn't quite correct. And the, the results were released early. But that report created headlines, it sticks in clinicians' heads, and it sticks in women's heads. Yet we know that the picture's not quite that black or white. And of course, it depends on the person. So it's very important that if you aren't feeling well, you find a menopause savvy healthcare provider, and you sit down with them and you talk because there are different forms of hormones, there are different dosages, there are different combinations. And it it is a little bit of going on an exercise to find out what works for you. It's not like, "Here, here it is, off you go kind of thing. That's valuable information, because that was probably some of the study information that was coming out as my friends and I were going through the perimenopause, like the really noticeable stuff. And I think most of us opted not to go with any hormone therapy, I was going to say replacement, hormone therapy. But now if we're advising our daughters, obviously the science is more refined, shall we say. Yes, and I think we're learning all all the time. And I think we're still, there's still lots of debate in the medical community. There are some clinicians who are saying, you can take it for life. But there are lots of other clinicians that I've spoken to who are saying, not too sure about that one. You know, we don't know the long term effects, but we do know that you can take hormone replacement therapy for more than the recommended five years that used to be there. And you can certainly within a, a number of years of actually being in menopause. So you've had you finished kind of your symptoms still be put on hormone therapy if it would help you. So so it is a little bit. But if you're really postmenopausal and it's been a while you're you're going to be an uphill battle and i think women are still also having issues with being prescribed testosterone that very few clinicians are will, still willing to do that so once again this is coming from my own naivety but are there different f- formulae so in terms of which hormone and how much yeah so women are often given estrogen so it depends if you've had a full hysterectomy and you don't have your ovaries left then you will be given estrogen only if you have your uh, you have your ovaries but your womb has been removed or you're still intact you may be given estrogen and you are in a gel or a tablet increasingly now in gel or patch format and you will be possibly recommended to have a Mirena coil, which is a coil that's fitted that releases progesterone. Some women are also given testosterone as a, as a patch or gel, particularly if they have real muscle issues or if they are very lacking in their libido. They're very low in energy as well. Wow, it's always interesting getting into some of these subjects and you realize that it's it's really complicated. And as you've just said, find a menopause savvy clinician to, to help you through that. 
Yes, and someone who really can talk you through, Agnes. I mean, this is this is not, and I would say to your listeners, do not go to a compounding pharmacist and think that that is an option because if you get hormone therapy from your clinician, it has passed regulatory guidelines. You will have the same quality of product over and over again. But in the US and and in Canada, you can go to a compounding pharmacist or or health functional medicine practitioner, and they're brilliant at what they do, but you may not be guaranteed the same quality of product over and over again because it's being made each time. And they make it from yams, but they don't have the quality control. So it, it isn't the best route to go down. I'm sorry, that was just a curious <laughs> yams. Okay. Yeah, yam is where they extract the estrogen from. It's funny that that's the product they use to make the hormone therapy. It comes from yams. So everybody is having natural now in in many ways. There's not many people having the old, really synthetic forms, but it's the quality and consistency of that that's important for people to know. Wow. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for all this uh, extra information. Yeah. Now, your bio, as I opened, talked about mindfulness, meditation, mindful eating, exercise, rest, and self-compassion. I know you wrote a book about mindful met- menopause, and this is only one podcast episode. But could you give us some tips on some of the most helpful strategies women might implement to handle life and until your book arrives at their doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I think, I think one of my key things to say is that what I call rock habits are pretty important. They are eating this mindful, intuitive way of getting your food, plant-based diet, of course, which is what you need. And also plants are rich in natural estrogens. So you want to be eating those. They have phytoestrogens in them. So Mediterranean diet, which still tops all the US diets or a similar style. I mean, not everybody's culturally attuned to eating a a Mediterranean diet, but something along that vein, plenty of fruit, vegetables, fish, white meats, grains, those kinds of things. And cutting back or down on the refined processed foods, the sugars, the alcohol, they're not our friend. And when we do that, we actually help to metabolize the estrogen in our body much better because we're actually cultivating the micro, that part of our microbiome. So that's really important. But eating, diets don't work. We all know that. <laughs> so eating intuitively is a much better way, eating mindfully, slowly, chewing our food, enjoying it, savoring it is, is a pretty good idea. So that, that for me is always there. And exercise, exercise is really important, and movement We need to be doing that because it helps our sleep. It helps our mood. And also it's important for women because their bone health is always at risk after our estrogen levels drop. We are more at risk at osteoporosis. So we moving and particularly strength training is really important. So I go on and on about women to lift weights and do resistance and do yoga because actually that's that's the part. And, of course, it's important for our hearts and keeping us well generally as we age. And then manage your stress, which is where the mindfulness really comes in, is 
you know, stress isn't our friend at all. It never has been, you know, and, and we are, as I said, more sensitive to stress and we can feel very anxious and mindfulness is proven to help us manage our stress. It's really proven to help us cope with anxiety and mild depression. And so having a simple mindfulness daily practice, maybe you only have five or 10 minutes, but you make that time for yourself to sit quietly. You can do a breathing exercise. You could go for a mindful walk. You might draw mindfully. I mean, you don't have to meditate if you don't like meditation or it's hard. And it is hard if you're very stressed and you're used to multitasking and being on the go, say to somebody, oh, just sit here and meditate for 10 minutes, is, you know, round and round in your head is going, I wonder what I were left for dinner, what should I be shopping, you know, <laughs> did I let the cat out, and then suddenly something weird pops in your head, because you're not used to it. So I think you can start small and build up there. And I will vouch for that insofar as, like the whole, I love mindfulness, I'm really big on mindfulness. And I find that, it's it can start out as simple as I've got a green light thank you you know and just doing that and then you know the next thing is like you're walking and you're enjoying the flowers or the ice crystals that we currently have out here but just it it becomes a habit Um, the whole mindfulness uh, leading into gratitude and that sort of thing so uh, absolutely I think being grateful and I think cutting ourselves some slack in self-compassion you know our own nobody is as harsh on ourselves as our own inner voice yeah and practicing self-compassion is really important at this time because we are going through a lot of changes there are times when we really aren't very nice to the people we love um we can be very critical of ourselves we live in a, a society that is very critical of older women, the way we look, the way we dress, what shape we are. And that doesn't, and we are often, there's still a lot of shame and stigma associated with with menopause, a difficulty to communicate with others at work and maybe even within our own family. So we do need to practice self-compassion and knowing that we're okay is, is really important and gentle, kind words to ourselves. And knowing that everything is okay, even if we've had a bad day, we can also say, well, you know, I can forgive myself for that. I just had an aha moment in insofar as many women that I speak to that are my age, they sort of say like, like, how did this happen? The last I remember was being, I don't know, 35 or 37, you know, and, and there are a lot of changes that go on between 35 and 65. And, you know, to suddenly become aware of the 65-year-old is sometimes, yeah, and you can be really harsh with yourself, whereas to understand that you have possibly raised children, you know, you've possibly had a career, you've dealt with the stresses, you've, you know, done all sorts of things that have created the current you. And, uh, yeah, so self-compassion, yeah, that's really so important. It's, it, it, I think it's actually one of the things that really helps people to come to terms with aging because, you know, we, we have to ch- we change so much. But I think the good thing is to realize that it is temporary. I mean, menopause is temporary. <laughs> it does pass. 
And we come out the other side and it, you know, I've been interviewed at somebody in my podcast who's a leading women's clinical um, psychiatrist. And she said, our brains get better. I've been reading more and more articles about that recently. And it's like, yes. <laughs> yes we're actually more creative. We're more willing to care for ourselves and sometimes put, you know, put ourselves first in ways that we haven't done earlier in our lives. So I'm really enamored with the fact that there's all this opportunity. I'm in my 60s now. So I mean, I'm, I'm there, you know, yeah, being, yeah. You know, living my purpose. But it's quite hard when you're sort of late 40s, and you're in the midst of juggling so much. And that's when we have to be compassion. And I think compassion teaches us also to have boundaries. To say that word, no, that's a very small word but and quite hard, but um, it's an important word in, in caring for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, I had a guest some time ago that talked about that magic two-letter word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting reading and one, like just all the transitions that come about as we get into our, our 60s. And, you know, those of us that are getting closer to 70, realizing that yeah, that whole creativity thing is definitely there. And realizing just that opening your eyes to the fact that you have probably by necessity been somebody else for the last 25 years. You've been a mother, you've been a wife, you've been an employee, you've been a a daughter, perhaps caregiving. But now you're coming into the stage of life that is about you and, and embrace it. Exactly. I love that. And I love that sense that you can do that. And, you know, that that as a neuroscientist, I can tell you that when we don't have as much um, estrogen in our brains in the same way, we kind of cut a slack. Mother Nature didn't expect us to be caring and producing babies at 60. So with some of that maternal caring has kind of vanished a bit. And we, we can speak our minds and speak our truth and stand in it and be our authentic selves, which I think is wonderful. Yeah, I I get a chuckle looking back at um, some of the writings of decades ago, where those women were considered like rebels and like, just you didn't want to go near them and you don't associate with them because they're speaking their mind. And of course, nowadays we're going, yes, you do that. You go, girl. I had a few relatives like that. I can tell you. I had a, yeah, I can remember that my own grandmother and another uh, lady who was in my father's side of the family. Uh, and she, they both lived to be over 100. <laughs> they were pretty feisty, both of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gotta love those genetics. <laughs> yeah. My next question may or may not be somewhere you want to go because I'm introducing an area you might not be fully versed on. But in your PodMatch profile, you posed a question whether brain fog might be a sign of something more serious. Now, we're living in the time of COVID where brain fog is also a side effect of that beast. Mm -hmm. Is there any way to know whether one brain fog interacts with the other or is there a risk that women might be ignored because oh you've probably had you know COVID and don't know it I think I think that brain fog is something that we should pay attention to usually most women who have brain fog in perimenopause it will go it will pretty much our hormones settle down and your brain pops back I think if you've had COVID 
there's certainly more risk now. There's, there are some studies coming out that are saying that COVID and menopause can, you know, there can be strong relationships between the two, and that pe- women who take hormone therapy apparently are recovering better from COVID than women who aren't. So I, I think this is very early days, but I think to watch your brain, a small percentage of women need to take care if they have brain fog in perimenopause. But that's a genetic link. So if your mother or, or, or in your family had Alzheimer's or dementia, then and you get bad brain fog, you need to be more wary of it. Mm. That's a slippery slope, isn't it? Yeah, that's a slippery slope. But for most most women, you should just recover. And then if you're still brain foggy, then it could be COVID. But otherwise, you know, then you need to have some some check it out. But the best thing you can do to protect is diet and sleep. Sleep is incredibly important for long-term brain health. Okay. I work with older women and um, I know some of them, they talk about brain fog and then they say, well, well, I've got to do puzzles and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. You know, cause I mean, as, as we get older, you know, if you forget something when you're 25, you don't think about it. You forget something when you're 65 and you worry about dementia. Yes. And is there any tips in that regard? So what, I know from reading and following, and I follow the work of the Women's Alzheimer's Movement a lot. They're a very good site. You can read their stuff, brilliant stuff. They have a very strong emphasis on diet, first and foremost, and definitely omega-3 fatty acids are a big part of that. Uh, They have a strong emphasis on sleep and stress management. And then the other side is community and connection. So a lot of the things one would have seen in those Blue Zone studies where uh, women, uh, you know, we saw that the people who lived well and were healthy were had a plant-based diet, as we said. They were active. They were socially connected. And they and they kind of managed their, their stress. They didn't live in very stressful environments, we have to say, in places like Okinawa and part, some <laughs> Greek island. But those things were really, really there. So a lot of those basic habits that we should be building and taking with us will have protective effects for our brains. Hmm. I like the way you talk about just that whole socialization thing, because after two, two years of COVID, I guess about four months ago, I started working with an elderly woman who had mild cognitive impairment was the diagnosis. And she's smart as a whip. She can hold a great conversation. But since I'm visiting her twice a week, she's just going like, oh my goodness, like I feel so much better and this and that. And it's because like she doesn't go to bridge anymore. She doesn't socialize anymore. So Mm -hmm. the fact that I go twice a week and we have these great conversations and we go for walks and we do all sorts of things. She's feeling so much better. And I'm thinking, okay, like <laughs> really, I hope her husband reevaluates or, or keeps an eye on this whole progression of dementia kind of thing. So, yeah, there's no doubt that isolation isn't good. It isn't good for us at any time, but it's certainly not good for our brains. Great information. Thank you. Um, our, Listeners are primarily boomer women. 
I've admitted right from the get-go that I'm coming in a little blind here. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you think women our age should think about or know or practice that we haven't talked about? No, I think I think in many ways, Agnes, you know, we've covered that. We've talked about things like nutrition, the need to keep exercising, which is is actually becoming so much more important. Managing our stress, getting our sleep. We think that's hard. That really isn't easy for women to get those seven hours in. But trying to get those in, and I've I've been reading quite a lot about not worrying with if you don't sleep seven hours straight in a row. But in fact, if you were to sleep, you know, went to sleep and slept four or five hours and you awake a bit and then you slept a bit more, that would actually be okay. And I think that's cutting some of us who are in our in our sixties and beyond a bit of slack because there's there's a lot of evidence from kind of evolution that that's how we used to sleep. And then somewhere along the way, because we had an eight hour work day and all the rest, we got into some sort of thing that you had to sleep these number of hours straight. But if we don't, it's okay. And take a nap if you feel tired. It's a super thing to do. (laughs) I love naps. (laughs) Yeah, this is just a random thought is that I have perfected the art of power naps as well. So I don't know if that was just an accident or whether that can be done. But just to lie down for like literally 22 minutes. <laughs> Definitely. Go for, it. Go for it. I love it. <laughs> now, we've talked about um, hormones and things like that. And just recently, I listened to a lot of talk radio. Recently, I heard a thing. This woman said, oh, I found I always wake up at like 1.30 in the morning. So I've been taking melatonin. And the doctor was saying, ah, melatonin is a hormone, not anything like you know it's not like a sleeping pill or something like that and so to be really careful I think it's fairly normal isn't it to sort of rouse in the dead of night and sort of re- readjust and go okay like what time is it okay go back to sleep perfectly normal yeah. we wake up lots and lots of times I mean we don't sort of go to sleep and sleep deeply us we have periods when we have deep sleep often those are the first four hours Then we might wake up and be sort of a little bit more awake. We might even wake up. And we can wake up lots and lots of time in the night but not be aware of it. And we don't necessarily need to be taking melatonin. I mean, for some people it works and some people it has absolutely no impact at all. And I think if you're always waking up, then one of the things you can do is look and think, why am I waking up? Because if we are too cold or too hot, If we have had a lot of carbohydrates that release a lot of sugars, we might actually have gone into a bit of a blood sugar crash. And and that will obviously, if your blood sugar crashes in the night, if you've had a great big pasta and lots of chocolate dessert before you went to bed and some alcohol, you're dehydrated. (laughs) And then your blood sugar crashes. And of course, the body will go into fight and flight without doubt, because it's going, oh, gosh, I better mobilize, you know, energy, the brain needs this. And so it'll set cortisol and adrenaline running. And of course, it naturally powers up the body and you wake up for a bit and then and then you go back to sleep. So there, there are things that may be causing that that are that are very simple to adjust. Mm. <laughs> so appreciating this, this talk. Um, tell us about your podcast. Yeah, my podcast is called Thriving Through Menopause. So it is a podcast where we talk about this time of life 
and and sometimes I have doctors, but a lot of the time I have people who work in the broader sense with women in this midlife phase. I mean, obviously there are women who are perimenopausal, menopausal, younger for a variety of reasons, but we tend to focus on the things that you can do. Yeah, so what could you do about your sleep? What could yoga bring to you? How could you eat differently? We've had yeah, somebody who talked about caring for your skin or styling your clothes differently. So we, we have, I have a very broad range of guests who come on. And we have a lovely chat like we've been having here, Agnes, and, and really hope that women are empowered. We have an episode every Tuesday. And, and you're on all the usual Apple and all that sort of stuff. Yes, you, can find, you can find me everywhere. I'm on everywhere and on YouTube too. Oh, okay, great. So once again, just in case somebody goes, oh, what was that called again? So Thriving Through Menopause is your podcast. You wrote a book that I think everybody should now buy. (laughs) Tell us about that. It's called The Mindful Menopause. (laughs) And I wrote that in 2018. It's a mindfulness book, not a menopause book, really, I would say. But it's about how mindfulness stepwise could support you from awareness through self-compassion to finding a new direction in life. And it's got lots of practices that you can take away and and do and my second book is coming out in March very good <laughs> now is this in bookstores or primarily Amazon or Amazon and we're on Amazon with the mindful menopause that's the main place you can get that book yeah okay. all right now when I was browsing around your website I saw a course thriving through menopause we've missed your January program but will you offer it again can you tell us about it certainly will I have a 12-week course for those of you who want to go deep and work with me and really look at your lifestyle and habits, your mindset. And that question is, who am I and where am I be where who am I becoming? You know, so we we work through a range of different ways to help a woman in a sort of tailored way uh, to, to do that. We sometimes work in a group if we have enough people, but I do work one-on-one. But if you're just thinking, oh, maybe I need a little bit of help, you can also do that. And I have a smaller course that you can jump on and do a little shorter program with me that's over three or four weeks, just to give yourself a bit of a, a, you know, guiding North Star. You've also got some free resources, I saw. I do. Yes, I've got something on brain fog, on mindfulness, on self-care. I've got a whole host of little things you can download for free there. Okay, and that website is? It's my name, clarissachristensen.com. And I will recommend to listeners that you look in the show notes because Christensen does have a specific spelling and the link will be in the show notes. Listeners, such good information. Issues, sometimes serious and long-lasting, and I never even thought, Clarissa, about the, the life ending possible issues if if somebody like if suicide rates go up they all come from menopause now that the age yes go ahead no yes they do so be aware of that be aware and and don't be afraid to ask for help and yeah and as you mentioned menopause savvy menopause specific yeah Mm -hmm. the age of menopause is now for many it's only midlife 
So finding a way to help yourself and thrive through the years is so important. So yeah, check out Clarissa's website, get her freebies, if nothing else, and you know, wait for the next course. And it sounds like we should all be tuning into your podcast. So I'm going to go, go find that as soon as we're done here. If you have comments on today's show, you can leave them where you're listening or at twoboomerwomen.com forward slash join dash the dash conversation. Feel free to leave stars. They help us grow and hit the subscribe or follow button before you go. And then you'll be notified about future interviews with more of my great guests. If you would like to be a guest on podcast or know someone who would, there's an application form at the website too. Clarissa Christensen, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you, Agnes. It's been a pleasure and I hope your listeners gained value from this conversation. If if they're anything like me, (laughs) they're going to be listening a couple of times, taking notes. That's great. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of week. You too. Thank you. 